Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Jared, and I'm the group's resident here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. And so whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. Man, it's so good to be back with you again. If you're watching with us online, uh, it's great to have you joining in with us as well. And uh, man, what an incredible thing we, just to be able to celebrate together, uh, just new life, God growing his church, you know, in many ways. And so um, if, you, if I'm a new face to you, my name is Brian. I serve as the senior pastor of the Zero Collective Network. So you may not have realized it, but Frontline is a part of this network family of churches throughout the greater Grand Rapids area. In fact, Frontline was the, the place that started it. So uh, for my wife and I and our family, uh, Frontline is home, and it, it literally, it's good to be back home. It feels good to just come back and uh, be with you guys again. And so today we're wrapping up this series that we've been working our way through at all the Zero Collective churches called Anchored. We've been talking about how storms of life come, and, our, and so what happens is the gospel gives us these anchors to make our lives secure, no matter what we face in life. And so the final anchor that we're talking about in this series, that we're wrapping up things with today, is we're talking about the promises of God from Scripture. How do we anchor our lives into the promises of God that, that are true for us in Scripture? Um, this past June, it was like a hot, sweltering day. Some of you can remember that like stretch when it was so hot uh, here in, in the month of June. There was this knock on the front door of our house. And so my wife, Carrie, she goes and she opens the door, and there standing on our porch is a door-to-door salesman. It's this 21-year-old kid. And uh, by the way, you know you're old when you start calling 21-year-olds kids, but that's exactly what he was. He was a 21-year-old kid salesman. And he informed uh, Carrie, he said, well, I'm from this company called Vivant. Uh, how many of you know what Vivant does? How do you, okay, a few of you. What do they do? Shout it out. They help do home security. And, so, and solar, I didn't even know that. Well, there you go. I learned something today already. Uh, so home security systems are uh, what they sell. And so he says, I, I want to sell you a home security system. Now, I don't know about you, but we get a lot of door-to-door salesmen coming through our neighborhoods, coming through uh, our, house, our houses. And so my wife handled this situation the same way she handles every door-to-door salesman who came to our house. She took the door and she opened it. As wide as she possibly could. And she said, come on in. Welcome to our home. And she walked him through our living room into our dining room table. And she said, won't you have a seat? And he sat down at the dining room table. And she said, you know, it's such a hot day. Would you like a nice cold glass of ice water? And he was like, yeah, sure. That would be great. So she gets him this nice cold glass of ice water, sets it in front of him. And when she was sure that he was just as comfortable as he possibly could be, she went where I was in the house. And she found me and she said, hey. There's a guy sitting at our dining room table who wants to talk to you. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That's how Carrie handles every door-to-door salesman. I try to beat her to the front door if I hear the knock. And so I'm like, I'm not doing this by myself. You're coming with me. So we come up and we sit down together at the dining room table. And this kid begins to present the, you know, his sales pitch to us. And he starts talking about all this technology that I'd never even heard of before. You know, 4K doorbell cameras, uh, you know, smoke alarms that will call the fire department for you, uh, glass breaking sensors that will notify the police, and, and stuff that I just didn't even know existed. 
But along with that, he's telling us about all the different ways that somebody can break into your house. I, I had no idea how many different ways there were you could rob somebody and break into their house. And so Carrie and I are terrified. Like we're just getting, the longer he's talking, my trust in humanity is just going down and down. And, and by the end of this speech, where we're totally afraid, he finally, he, he shows us the great deal that he can give us so that we can feel safe in our own home again, like we did before he came to our front door. <laughs> and here's what I learned from that experience. What I learned is home security systems cost a lot of money. Did you know that? In fact, I did some research. We are spending more right now in America on home security than we ever have in any other time in history. Uh, home security systems you can pay a fortune for. They cost tens of thousands of dollars if you really want to get a great one. And the reason that we will pay so much for home security systems, the reason we're willing to invest in that is because home security systems make a promise to us. And the promise is, if you invest in me, I will make your home secure. If, you, if you're willing to invest in me, I will make your home safe. I want you to think about all the other things in our world that make promises to us. Uh, think about like a beauty. Beauty will make the promise. If you invest in me, if you do all the right routines, if you just use these products, if you invest in me, your youth will be secure. You'll always stay young. Uh, the stock market makes a promise to us. If you invest in me, your future will be secure, right? Uh, even our job performance. If you get the right job skills, if you work really hard at your job, if you perform well at your job, if you invest there, your uh, position will be secure, always at work. I could go on and on, but you get the idea. The, the problem with, with that is it's not wrong to invest in any of those things. In fact, it's probably wise to invest in those different things, but none of those things can actually deliver on what they promise with 100% certainty. Right? No matter how much you invest in your own beauty, you might, I'm just saying you might, you might get old at some point. Maybe. No matter how much you invest in the stock market, there might be an economic downturn or there might be some crisis that happens in your life that drains all your savings and all your money. No matter how good you are at your job and how much you invest there, your position might get outsourced or you might be forced into early retirement. It, it might happen. And what I want to say today is the promises of God are different. They're, they're not like that. Because the promises of God actually make our lives and our eternity secure. But here's the catch. We have to invest. We have to anchor our lives in those promises if we want to experience that. And so we've been looking for this uh, entire series, at, no pun intended, our anchor scripture for this series has been Hebrews chapter 6. You saw it a moment ago on the screen, but I want to take a moment and just really read it. As we wrap up this series, it says, Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. And so the, the writer is talking about this hope that we have that's an anchor for our soul. But then a few verses before this, it gives us an example of, uh, the, of this in the promises of God. Verse 13 says, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. 
Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now, now I hope what you're seeing with that is that God basically made a promise by oath to Abraham. And then what we know is that God was faithful to uh, make good on his promise to Abraham and to deliver on that. But Abraham had a part that he had to play in it. Did you catch that in the verse? What was Abraham's part that he had to play? What did he have to do? He waited. Yeah, I heard somebody say it. He had to wait patiently. It says Abraham had to wait patiently for the promise of God to be fulfilled, which doesn't sound too bad, right? I mean, just hang out, just relax, play some video games, wait for God to, to deliver on his promise. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? And really, that wouldn't be so bad if that's all it is. But this wasn't just waiting. It wasn't just hanging out and relaxing. If you know the story of Abraham, what you realize is, is what he was invited to do was, uh, go ahead if you will to that next slide. He was invited to wait, but without any sort of clarity on how God was going to come through on the promise. It wasn't just sitting around. He was waiting without clarity. And, and I would tell you that when we have to wait without clarity in our lives, th these are the times of life that just crush us. This crushes us when we have seasons of our lives where we have to wait, but we have no clarity on how God is going to deliver on his promise. We see this in the story of Abraham. Abraham had a lack of clarity on how God was going to do it. What the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, you find Abraham's story in the book of Genesis early on in the story of the Bible. When Abraham was 75 years old, God made a promise to him, this is what this passage is referencing, that he would have a son. Now up to this point, Abraham and his wife Sarah have no children, and God at 75 years old says, you're going to have a son, and this son is going to be the father of a great nation, and it's going to be a blessing to the whole world. Now, uh, that's great, and that's a wonderful thing, but then what Genesis 21 verse 5 tells us uh, is that Abraham was 100 years old when Sarah finally gave birth to Isaac. So in other words, from 75 to 100 years old, there's 25 years where Abraham and Sarah are waiting without any sort of clarity on how God is going to deliver on this promise. And then this is not like waiting through your 20s where you're like, yeah, it's still possible. He's 75 when he gets the promise, and he's 100 when Sarah finally gives birth to Isaac. So I mean, with every monthly disappointment, with every passing birthday, you're going, how is God going to do this? How, how's he going to make good on this promise? And so the pressure just keeps rising and rising with absolutely no clarity. And if you know the story of Abraham, you know that some of the worst decisions that we make in our lives happen during seasons like this. Seasons where we're having to wait on a promise of God, but we have no clarity on how he's going to do it. Because what we do in seasons where we're waiting is we want to take matters into our own hands. When we're waiting without any clarity, the temptation becomes, how can I just take control of this? So, God, I know I should trust you. I know I should continue to be faithful in tithing with my finances. But, you know, I don't know how you're going to come through. And so maybe I'll just take matters into my own hands here. When it comes to our own personal integrity, God, I, don't know, I know you promised this, but you know, it would just be so much easier if I just compromised in this one area right here just made, made sure I met my own needs in my own way. When it comes to your future, God, I know you promised Mr. Right, but there's Mr. Right here right now, right? Some of the worst decisions that we make happen in times of our lives where we are waiting on God to come through on a promise, and we think we've got to take matters into our own hands. So what about you? 
Where do you want clarity right now? Where are you waiting right now? And you wish God would just make it clear. Where, where do you wish he would just be so abundantly clear with what it is that he wants to do in your life? I'll tell you where it is for me. Right now, the place I want clarity is with my diagnosis. So I, I've shared this here before, but when I was 38 years old, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And there, there's treatment, but there's no current cure for it. And so what happens is every six months, I go in for these full-body CT scans. And the whole point of that is to determine whether I'm, not, whether I'm still in remission or not. So I've been through radiation. I've been through a first round of chemo. And so uh, September actually was, was the most recent of those six-month scans. And thank God, uh, praise the Lord, I'm still in remission. But as, I, you know, as, as the months go by and I get closer and I get to that month where those scans are, and then I get to the week where those scans are, it's like you're sitting there waiting, but there's just no clarity. There are all these unanswered questions. How long am I going to have intermission this time? Uh, what am I going to have to go through, you know, in, fu- in the future with these next rounds? Uh, what is my family going to have to go through if I have to go through chemo again? What is that going to be like? These are questions that have no answers. And I will tell you, when I get to that, like, week of, and we're waiting, and there's just no clarity, that is the most alone that I ever feel. I can be in a room just like this one, full of people, and I feel utterly alone. Surrounded by my family and friends, and I just, for whatever reason, I just feel totally alone when, when it's that week when I'm waiting. And some of the worst temptations, some of the worst doubts and discouragement come into my life in those moments. Waiting is hard, isn't it? Nobody wants to wait without clarity. Waiting itself is like a storm that we go through. We want clarity when we wait. Here's what I came to offer you today and what I think God's word offers us today. I just want to offer the question, what if there's something actually better than clarity? What if what what God wants us to, to give us today is something better than clarity? We all want clarity. We know that. But what if there's something better? So what I want to do is I want to look today at how God speaks to Abraham during the waiting and lack of clarity time in his life. So we're going to, in Genesis 15, that's where we're going to go right now. Uh, Genesis 15 happened between that 25-year period, between age 75 and age 100, where God has promised, but Abraham and Sarah are still waiting and they have no clarity. How are you going to do this, God? And so in Genesis 15, 8, Abraham is discouraged. He's doubting God. And he needs an anchor. He needs something to anchor his life to. And so he says in verse 8, God, how do I know you're going to be, come through on this promise? How can I be sure you're going to come through on this promise? This is God's answer to Abraham in verse 9. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Well, thank God for that, right? Do you ever, do you ever come to a, like a story in the Bible, and it's like you're reading it, but we're reading it through our, our Western modern eyes, and you're just kind of like, what? <laughs> it just makes no sense whatsoever. It's just so weird. Isn't this story is just so weird? So it's like Abraham is like, God, God, you know, how can I be sure? How do I know you're going to come through on your promise? And God is like, I've got it. Bring me some farm animals. What? And then if you notice, Abraham doesn't have to be told what to do with them. God never says, here's what to do. Somehow he just knows I'm supposed to cut these animals in half and sort of arrange them in this path. 
What's happening here is something uh, that was very common practice in the ancient Near East. It's known as cutting the covenant, or sometimes it's called the blood path. And so in, in ancient times, in the ancient Near East specifically, you know, they didn't have lawyers. They didn't have, like, documents that you would sign. If you, if you had to have a binding agreement between two parties legally, uh, it always involved the spoken word and the shedding of blood. So a covenant or a binding agreement always in the ancient world would be confirmed by the spoken word and the shedding of blood. And so a common ritual, a common practice was what God was inviting Abraham to do right here. It was called cutting the covenant. So what you would do is you would get these animals and you would cut them in half and you would line them up in a path. And then you would stand on one end of that path and then the the other party, the other person that you were making this covenant with, would stand on the other side. And then what you would do is you would say something like, well, I promise to build the fence. just making something up. And then you would say, if I fail to do what I say I'm going to do, May I be like one of these animals. And then what you would do is you would walk the blood path all the way down, feeling the blood between your toes of these animals, feeling it on your bare feet. And when you walk to the end of it, your part of that would be done. And then the other person, the other party would stand on the other side of the blood path and they would say, I promise to pay X number of dollars for the fence, whatever. And then they would say, if I fail to uphold my end of this covenant... May I be like these animals here. And then that second person would walk and they would feel the blood between their feet. And then the covenant would be confirmed between the two parties. And so when God says, go get these animals, Abraham knows God's calling him to cut the covenant. God is literally saying, till death do us part, Abraham, you do your part and I'll do my part. So Abraham gets it all lined up. And then in Genesis 15, God does something absolutely shocking, surprising. And I would just say it's one of the most beautiful passages in the entire Old Testament. It's one of the most amazing moments that happens in the entire Bible. What happens is that they get Abraham gets everything lined up, and then God causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep before Abraham ever has a chance to even walk the path. And then what happens while Abraham is in a deep sleep is God walks the blood path himself for both of them. He walks it on his behalf, but then he also walks the blood path on Abraham's behalf. Do you understand what God is saying to Abraham in that moment? God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, you may fail your end of the bargain, but I will never fail you. Abraham, you may let me down. You may, as a human being, you may make promises that you can't keep. I will never let you down. In fact, Abraham, if you fail to do your part of this commitment, if you fail to do your part of this covenant, I will do your part and my part both. And God kept his promise. Because what the gospel tells us is Abraham did fail. He did let God down. And so did we. So did every single one of us. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has fallen short uh, of God's glory, of who he is. And Jesus was torn apart on the cross just like those animals were. What we see in Jesus Christ is we see God keeping his promise to Abraham that you may let me down, but I will never let you down. Jesus, when he took, when he on the cross, he took on our 
shame. He took on our sin. He took on all the ways that we failed God, and he offered himself sacrificially on the cross so that when we put our faith and we put our trust in the person of Jesus, it's not by our our effort. It's not by our good behavior. It's not by our merits that we have access to the promises of God. It's through Jesus. It's through his faithfulness. It's through what he did and what he won on our behalf. So when we put our faith and our trust in him, it becomes ours. Paul has this one line in 2 Corinthians 1.20. It's, it's just like such a small sentence, but it says so much about the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says, All the promises of God are yes and amen for us in Christ Jesus. Literally, all the promises in the Bible are applied to us, not because we live a good life, not because we get all the answers right, not because we do everything we're supposed to do. All the promises of God in Scripture are applied to us through our faith in Jesus. They're yes and amen to us through the person of Jesus. That's good news. That's what the gospel tells us. Whatever promise God's offered, it's yes and amen in the person of Jesus. Do you know what's better than clarity? The thing that God wants to give us is so much better than clarity. Go ahead to that next slide, if you will. It's certainty. Certainty. I may not have clarity about my future, but I do have certainty because of my faith in Jesus through the promises of God. I may not know how God is going to get me through this, but I have certainty that he is going to do it. Is there a trust issue in your life right now? Is there some place in your life where you wish God would make it clear as you're waiting? Clarity is the anchor you're looking for. Can I tell you, when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, when you become a follower of Christ, your circumstances don't get more clear. But your certainty in the midst of your circumstances rises. And that is the hope that becomes an anchor for our soul that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. You can have certainty even if you don't have clarity. And that, my friends, is actually the better thing. Several months ago, I was at a pastor's gathering um, with another pastor. Actually, I was with Pastor Cody Mahaffey from this church. And the two of us were uh, with this, at this gathering of pastors that, throughout our entire region. And it was this all-day uh, time where we were brainstorming together. We were trying to solve some problems together that, that we're facing as churches. And so we go through this entire day together, and we get to the very end of the day, and um, the facilitator uh, says, hey, before we close today, I want to have a time of prayer over one of the pastors in the room. And so what we learn in that moment is that uh, one of our fellow pastors, incredible pastor, incredible wife, mother, she had just found out like the week prior to coming into this gathering that her son, her 12-year-old son, his name is Simon, had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. It is 100% fatal, and he will die soon. He will not make it out of his teen years. And when the facilitator said this, I was heartbroken. I've known her, I've known her family for years. We, we've done thing, things in ministry together. I was just crushed. And, and before the facilitator could even say anything, it's like everybody in the room, just we all felt it. We all just stood up. Everybody just kind of gathered around her. Everybody just gathers around. And so we're about to pray, and the facilitator asked uh, what I thought was just the dumbest question you can possibly ask in that moment. 
he said to her, he said, how do you want us to pray? Are you kidding me? You're in a room full of pastors. How do you want us to pray? Pray that the heavens would open, that God would come down, that he, he would be healed miraculously, 100%. I believe God heals people. I believe he still heals people today. What do you, what do you want us to pray for? Of course we're going to pray that he would be healed, that he would be restored completely, and that he wouldn't die. That's what would have made me feel better. Her answer shocked me. What she said was, you know, I will always take prayer for miraculous healing. I believe God can heal. I believe he does still heal. But she said, Here, here's the thing I really want you to pray for, if you're asking. Here's the thing I've been praying every single day for my son and that I would love all of you to pray for. Would you pray that God would give him a vision of heaven so that he is no longer afraid? And when she said it, something in me like wanted to push back against it. Like, no, are you kidding me? We're not going to pray for that. We're going to pray that God would heal him. But, but as we gathered around, as we began to pray, something inside my spirit resonated with it. And I, I began to realize, oh, no, she's right. She's absolutely right. That's the better thing to pray for. That God would give him such a vision of heaven that no matter what happens, he would no longer be afraid. Because here's the thing. God hasn't promised physical healing. I believe God does physically heal. I believe he still does that today. I believe he can physically heal me. But God doesn't promise that he's going to physically heal in every situation. But what he does promise is he promises an ultimate healing when we put our faith and our trust in him. And that is something you can anchor your life in no matter what. Jesus said in John 14, I go away to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not true, I wouldn't have told you. He doesn't promise physical healing, but he promises ultimate healing. What are you anchoring your life to? You can't anchor to clarity. Clarity makes life easier. It's great when there's clarity. What he gives us is certainty that rises in the midst of whatever storm we face. And that, my friends, is the hope that's an anchor for our soul that won't let us down. Is your life anchored to that hope? It can only be anchored to that hope through our faith in Jesus. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, if you haven't come to this place to put your faith in him, it's simply a matter of even right now, even as you're hearing my voice, just saying, Jesus, I confess my sin. I repent of my sin. I repent of the ways in which I've tried to take matters into my own hands so I can anchor my life in something that I feel is more secure. And I confess you as Lord and Savior. Would you come in my life? Would you give me a new life in you? When we do that, we allow Jesus to be that. We have a hope that's an anchor for the soul that does not disappoint. Praying, trying to figure out how to close this today. And I feel like the Holy Spirit just laid three promises of Scripture on my heart uh, for this message for us today. There's so many promises of Scripture, but these are the three I just felt like we were supposed to talk. In fact, uh, Rusty, will you just put them all three of them up there right now? So here's, here's what I want to do. Uh, I want to speak these over you 
So in a minute, one at a time, uh, for some of you in this room, um, you, need, you need to hear the promise of God that is yours because of your faith in, in Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you to stand. Uh, it, no, don't just stand up all at once, but just stand if this is you. Each one of these, if this represents you, I want you to stand. I want you to kind of self-identify, yeah, this is me. And then I just want to speak these promises one by one over you. So the first one is this. I just feel like the Lord laid on my heart. There's some people who need guidance. And you can let us know if you're watching online too, if this is you. If you need guidance right now, would you just stand up in the room? There's a situation, thank you. There's a situation you're just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know which direction to go. I'm completely at a loss. God, I need you to guide me. I want to speak this promise of scripture over you right now. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That is a promise of God in scripture that is yes and amen, that is yours in Jesus Christ. You can have a seat. Next group, are you overwhelmed? You stand up if you're feeling totally overwhelmed, like you're facing a situation that's like, this is just too big for me. Anxiety just feels like it's got a chokehold around your neck. It's a lot of us, wow. This is Jesus' words in John 16, verse 33. Jesus says, in me, you will have peace. In the world, you will have nothing but trouble. He's saying, I'm the only place you can find peace. But take heart because I have overcome the world. He's already overcome whatever it is that's overwhelming you. That is a promise of God in scripture that is yours, that you can claim because of your faith in Jesus. Just have a seat. Last one. And this is the one for me. Do you feel alone? Are you in any place in your life? Stand up if you just feel like, man, I feel like it's just me. It's like I'm the only one dealing with this. Nobody else gets it. Okay, thank you. This is a, a scripture I've been claiming and that, I, that has just spoken to me so clearly in my life. In the book of Isaiah, God says, and I, I just want to speak this promise over you. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. You are not alone. He is with you in the deep waters. He is with you in what you're facing. He has not abandoned you. He is with you. That is a promise of God from Scripture that is yours because of your faith in Jesus. Well, the rest of you, will you join those who are standing? Jesus, right now, we just come to you and we recognize that the only sure foundation we have, the only thing we can anchor our lives into, God, is the certainty that we have from the promises of Scripture that you won on our behalf. So, God, if we're giving our lives to you right now for the first time, if we're, giving our, if we're coming back to you, if we're putting our faith and our trust in you, there's an anchor. There's a hope that's an anchor for our soul that is ours if we're willing to invest in it, if we're willing to, to sink our lives into it. And so God, even these words that have just been spoken today, I pray that they would just become places we return to again and again when we're feeling hopeless, when we're feeling alone, when we're despairing, 
uh, when we're looking for guidance, God, as we wait, God, we, we ask for something better than clarity. We ask for your certainty to rise up in us so that we can live the life that you've called us to live. Uh, God, no matter what comes our way, no matter what happens, we trust you to do it. We believe you can do it. We thank you, Jesus, that we are yours by, not by our own effort or our own ability, but what you accomplished for us on the cross. And that is a reason for great hope. And so in that, Jesus, we thank you. It's in your name, everyone said, amen. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.